Welcome to the Amity Bible Church with our pastor, Dr. Les Smith, because our vision is to become the church that Christ intended it to be, to know God and to make him known as our mission. And we are committed to loving God, serving others, and are unashamedly obsessed with sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can always get the message online, YouTube, Facebook, and our podcast that's air on all major podcast platforms. Make sure you like and subscribe to all three. This month, Pastor Martin begins a new series entitled Loving God. Turn with us to 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. And listen as Pastor Martin dives deeper into the subject. Throughout the month, we're going to explore through this sermon series the reality that all of mankind intrinsically should be seeking to love God, the pursuit of loving God. Solomon understood that no matter how well you do in life, no matter what you accomplish, it will be important for you to understand that everything is going to fail or be vain and useless and pointless if you don't understand who God is and your responsibility to him. And so for the entire month, we're going to explore what that means to have this intrinsic need for humanity to pursue loving God. And we're going to consider today the fact through this sermon title, Because He First Loved Me. Because we're going to see how God loved us and demonstrated His love. We just celebrated that act of love through the Holy Communion the Lord's Supper, as we consider the fact that Jesus says, I'm what I'm doing, I'm giving my body for you, I'm shedding my blood for you, and don't ever forget this. So ultimately, as we look at the series throughout this month, we're going to be looking at what it means to love God, but also that that love is a reaction to his love for us. If you would, grab your Bibles, if you would, and turn to John, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, if you don't mind, if you would stand once you have it, that we might read that together. 1 John chapter 4, we just need verses 8, 9, and 10 this morning to help us with our lesson. 1 John chapter 4. We'll begin our reading at verse 8, and we'll read down to verse number 10. The Word of God says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God is manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And the word of God is blessed. You may be seated. Not that we loved him, but that he first loved us and that he loved us. And now we understand our reaction. Love inherently seeks to action itself. Although every person in humanity has the capacity to give and experience love, true love can only 
fully be understood and fully be experienced through the one who is the essence of love. And ultimately, he, who has, he has demonstrated his love to us or shown himself to love us through the ultimate expression of love in sending his own son to die a sacrificial death for our sins. Now, here's the key. Because when God said or declared to the world, for God so loved the world, he gave. After having declared he loved the world, he actioned. So we understand that love, whenever it is experienced or when it is in existence, it desires to action itself. So the reality is is that if we draw upon this one truth, that Jesus Christ, God's only son, came to be the propitiation for our sin, then we understand that he did that intentionally. That he didn't just happen upon giving himself, that that was his plan, and that was the plan of God that was designed to bring us to a place and a point where we then, our reaction to knowing that God has loved us and demonstrated his love to us, that we should then reciprocate or love him and then be moved to actions that result in our adoration, our convictions, but also our expression that we want to demonstrate a show because love, again, inherently wants to show itself. I remember this as a, as a, uh, a young man. I was a young adolescent, and so uh, we were sitting in church, in the back of the church, and so there was a young lady that caught my attention, and apparently she had caught, I had caught her attention, and, she, and my cousin had also caught her attention as well. So the young lady apparently was pretty intelligent, or she was one that wanted to be secure, so what she did was she started a chain. She wrote a letter, and it said, do you love me? Mark, yes or no. Now, she did that and sent it to the left to me. Unbeknownst to me that she also wrote a, the same letter and sent it to the right to my cousin. So both of us having marked yes, as soon as church let out, we both went rushed to the aisle so that we could walk out next to her. But we realize both of us are walking next to her. So I look over at him and I say, what are you doing? He looks over at me and says, what are you doing? So immediately we were in conflict. Why? Because the very notion of answering the question that we loved, we wanted to show something. And the reality is that when God said, I love the world, he wanted to show his love and he sent his son, Jesus Christ. Because love inherently wants to show itself. Here in this passage of scripture, in verse number nine, here's what the word of God says. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. That God, when he wanted to demonstrate his love, he sent his son 
to die that we might live because love inherently wants to reveal itself. It wants to demonstrate itself. But here's the reality. Based upon our text today, we understand that Jesus being sent into the world was God demonstrating his love. But the question we have to ask is, why did God need to show that he loved? What was his reason for wanting to demonstrate that he loved us? That leads us to our first point of the day. And that is, there was a fallout because of disobedience. There's a fallout for disobedience. When we start to define what sin is, we understand that sin at its most basic definition is disobedience to God. We see the origins of sin in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 11. For there in Genesis chapter 3, verse 11, going all the way back to the first man, the first woman in the Garden of Eden, we find that the fallout there was disobedience to God because God told them, hey, you can have whatever you want. And it's interesting that, that even though God gives us so much, we still want what we can't have. Just tell your child they can't do something, and that's the only thing they want to do. You can't have that. They just stand there and look at it. And here's what I imagine. I imagine because God has said, hey, you can have all these other trees, eat from whatever you want, have a meal with anything else, but just don't touch this tree. I'd imagine that they walked by each day just looking. <laughs> Wonder why God didn't want us to eat that, because that fruit looks pretty good. I mean, these are good. This is, this is good, but there's something special about that. Because in the Garden of Eden, here's what we find in verse 11. And he said, who told you you were naked? Because this is after the fall. God said, don't touch it. Because here's what he said. Because when you eat it, you will have knowledge or be aware of good and evil. Now, today, that word evil, just say it with me. Say evil. evil. Just say it. Say, say it with conviction. Evil. evil. There's nothing good that sounds like. It doesn't sound good, does it? But for some reason, it sounds good to Eve. He says, you're going to have knowledge of good, and which is all they do, because all of God's creation is good. But he says, and evil. And intrinsically, there was a desire to say, wait, well, what is this evil? What am I missing? And I want to caution you against always having to try the next new thing. Not that you shouldn't be progressive by all means. I'm not saying I, I, I'm an advocate for progress. But some things you don't have to know. There are certain things in life I don't have to experience. One of them is jumping out of a plane at 20,000 feet. <laughs> I've seen it. It seems to be fun. They, they, people pay good money to go do it, but you don't have to have, I don't have to have that experience. Brother Glenn, I'll never have a parachute hopping out of a plane and allowing for a cord to be pulled, and then I have to then float down that just won't happen. But some things we just don't have to experience. But here was something they felt they had to experience. They wanted to experience what evil was. And after having eaten the fruit that God had forbidden them to eat, then their eyes were open and they understood they were naked. And here's the thing. So God comes walking through the garden. 
calling out for Adam, and they're hiding. Now, they apparently have never hidden from God before because any time he called, they came running. But this time, there was something interesting about it. They were hiding from him. And so God said, where are you? And he stepped out and said, I was hiding because we're naked. Verse 11, God says, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? So here we find the origin of sin. That at its most basic definition, it is disobedience to God. But it also is rebellion against God's law because, because God had told them not to do it, it was law. So even before the law of Moses that God had already established, the one law in the garden is don't eat this. So they, they, they rebelled. And here's the thing. The fallout from sin creates alienation because it alienates mankind from God. Notice how that before they were glad to hear God's voice. Now that they hear his voice because of sin, now they're withdrawing from him, the one whom they've always drawn to, they're now withdrawing from. Because sin always alienates us, which leads us to the first point of the, the, that was my first point, but but the first note of the day, and that is the fallout of sin is alienation. It alienates us from God. it, It also alienates us from ourselves. It alienates us from others. And it also alienates us from God's creation. Because God designed us to live and to be in fellowship with him. And once sin came, that fellowship was broken because here's the reality is God had established a relationship in such a way that in the garden, he would just walk through the garden. And he would call out Adam's name, calling him out by name. And we would assume that the natural reaction at that time would be that Adam would come out, him and God would have a conversation, he would give whatever instructions, and then he and Eve would go off. But now they're alienated from God. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse number 9 and 10. I want to show you how this alienation, it alienates us from God. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he says, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. Now, wait a minute. The one who's created you with his bare hands, and you've had a relationship with him such that whenever he would call to you, you would respond with adoration, but now you're responding with fear. When you heard God's voice, Adam, you feared because sin alienates us from God because here's what he says. I was afraid, and I went and hid myself. Because until this point, 
He had never felt like there was any problem between him and God. Him and, him and Eve, had, had, they had no sense that there was any problem between them and God, but now sin has come in and they feel afraid of him. And here's the thing. The very one who had made them naked, they say, we are afraid because we were naked. And we hate ourselves. So we understand that sin alienates us from God. It alienates us from our own selves. In that same 10th verse, because it's exhibited in the shame that we see once again. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. Now, here's the thing. They had been naked all their lives. It didn't just happen that day. They didn't eat the fruit and all the clothes fell off. This had been their existence from creation. Nothing had changed about them, and yet something had changed in them. See, sin alienates us from our very selves because we had, they, had, they were in the state where, in which they were fine, and nothing had changed except for something had changed in them. See, oftentimes when we're sinning, we think it's just what we're doing, but it's, it's oftentimes doing something in us. It has eternal ramifications. The next alienation, it alienates us from one another. And it reveals itself when we begin to shift blame. Look what happens in verse number 2, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 12. I'm sorry, not 2, 12. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 12, look what it says. Then Adam said, this woman you gave me. I don't hear any context of her twisting arms or, or, or forcing him. She said, I ate, you eat, he ate, they both ate. But then he's now alienated from her. He's trying to distance himself from her. The one you gave me, God. This woman, you, Lord, I was doing fine out here in this garden by myself. I was out here doing just what you told me to do. And this woman, husband, how many times if you felt like your failure is because of your, I could do much better if I didn't have. You holding me back. Sin reveals itself in our alienation from each other because we blame others. If they hadn't, if the devil, the devil made me do it. Every, somebody, everybody's responsible for, but me. I wouldn't have gone over there. I wouldn't have got drunk and drove my car into a tree if the liquor store wasn't even open. <laughs> Why they even open at this time of night? Why is Budweiser making the beer so cheap? They got it on sale. I would have never bought a whole case and drunk half of it. Oh, I would have never gone over there if she hadn't texted me. Well, wait a minute. She only has the number because... So sin alienates us from others because we begin to shift blame on somebody else. 
And then finally, it alienates us from God's creation. Because if you slide down to verse 15 through 17, look what it says. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is, this is the Lord giving the serpent its punishment. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. That's verse 15. Verse 16 says, to the woman, he says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your, and, and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. And then in verse 17, then he says to Adam, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toiling, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. The curse upon childbearing, the curse upon working, having to work for a living, because they didn't have to work for anything. They had to cultivate the ground. It literally just produced. So it alienated us from creation because in God's plan, we didn't have to work. But because of sin... We are alienated from the original plan. Here's one other note to note, note here under this point. The other part of this fallout is mankind's sentence to death. If you find that in verse 19, because it says, In the sweat of your face you shall eat the bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, and from the dust you are to return. So he says, Now you, you must die. And oftentimes I, I use this to answer a question for young people as they ask the question. When they're questioning the Bible and they're asking, how is it that in Genesis, they must, have, they must have gotten it wrong because the Bible talks about these people in the early stages living for so long. And the answer to that is that because the, hum, the human body had to learn how to die. God pronounced if the punishment for death, the punishment for their sin was that they had to die, that meant that God didn't make them to die. Because if they were already going to die, then there's really no punishment to do what I was already getting ready to do. So when you see that Methuselah and all those live so long, because this flesh was learning how to die, so they were living much longer. As generations went on, they, the body began to die more and more readily. So when we think about this fallout, we're pronounced to death. That since Adam and Eve, every man, every woman, every person born into the world has had the sentence of death upon them. That from the point in which they come in to the world, they're heading for the exit. But why is that significant? Because God wanted to have continual fellowship with mankind. And his intent for mankind was that we would all operate and function in this space that he created just for us in the Garden of Eden. And yet sin entered in and created this fallout, this sentence of death. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4, here's what it says. The soul that sins, it shall die. We understand that from Romans chapter 6 to 23 that the wages of sin is death. So we understand that from this pronouncement of death upon mankind that we all have death upon us. So that is the purpose and reason why God had to send. It makes sense that God would send his son that we might live through him. Why? Because we have the penalty of death upon all mankind. 
And Paul says it this way, if one man, if death entered into the world through one man, Adam, then life comes into the world through Christ, the one man, Jesus Christ, which points us to our next point. Love had a plan. Point number two is that love had a plan, that even though there was a fallout, even though the plan that God had had been breached by mankind, but God, through his love, he had a plan. We find in verse, well, verse 9 of 1 John chapter 4, here's what it says, For in this the love, God, love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live. Amen. Because of sin, death is pronounced. But through Christ, life is delivered. We have this plan that God is fulfilling. So the title of the point is love had a plan. So we understand in verse 8 that God is love. Not that he loves, but that he is love. He's the very essence of love. And in order for us to fully understand and experience love at its fullness, we can only do that through the one who is the essence of love. God is love. So here's how this works. For love declared that love loved the world, that love gave his son. If God is love, the plan belongs to love, and the plan of love came from love, and therefore love loved the world, love gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The plan of love. I want you to see this for yourselves. Turn, if you would, to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. Because I think this will inspire your faith today because here is Isaiah, the prophet. Hundreds of years before Jesus comes on the scene, he's prophesying about Jesus, about the plan that God has. God stops off, gives this revelation to, to, to Isaiah and, and tells him to declare this, and he declares this, and he speaks of God's plan. He outlines the plan of God before Jesus comes on the scene. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse, 40, uh, verse 4 through, through 6, here's what it says. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken. Smitten by God and afflicted. Verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He says, like sheep, we've gone astray. Because the reality is, is that each one of us pursues our own way. God made us to have our own will. We have the ability to make a decision, to make a choice, which is actually part of when God says, I've made man in the likeness of my image, that is a part of that image that, that we have a will. God has a will. He made us to have a will. 
Each one of us are free moral agents. So we, so it's not that mom and them or, or somebody else that ultimately, yes, we have inherited sin, the sin nature, but it's up on us to make the choice to pursue it. And Isaiah said, all of us have gone after our own way. But here's the blessing of this gift. Love's plan was to lay the iniquity of us all on Jesus. When we celebrate the communion, when Jesus says, this is my body, which is broken for you, when he says, do this to keep me in mind, because think about this. Have you ever, ever done something for someone that you thought was super special? And, and they didn't seem to appreciate it like you thought? Christmas time, have you ever shopped and went to multiple stores and, and spent time wrapping it and putting it all together? And, and then you can't wait for that moment and they get it and they tear the package off and they open it up and they say, oh. And you like, do you like it? Yeah. You sure you like it? Yeah, I do. Are you sure you like it? Because you, I thought you might. I thought you might, you know, show a little more enthusiasm about it. I mean, so they say they appreciate it. And what happens? Because you're not convinced, you circle back later. It might not be that day. You wait a little time to, to laugh, so, especially if it's something they can put on. It was a spring dress you got. Spring, we're halfway through spring, still I ain't seen the dress. Or it was that tie you wanted them to wear, or it was, it was the shoes you wanted them to, it was the bike you wanted them to be so excited about. You circle back and say, hey, where's that, um, where's that, 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 that gift I gave you? And they say, oh, um. You, you realize that they've forgotten all about it. Jesus understood that. That's why he said, as often as you do this, because as time goes on, this precious gift of God giving his son that Jesus suffered and sacrificed, as time goes on, we sometimes lose sight of or lose track of it. Because he wanted us to keep it in mind and bear it in mind because love, when we, when we see his demonstration or we remind ourselves of his demonstration of love, it prompts something in us. Because love wants love to be reciprocated. And once we reciprocate love in loving God, knowing that he first loved us, then it should stir in us some type of action. Because Love inherently wants to action itself. Here's another note, num note number three for today. Love, love first. So not that we love God, verse 10, not that we love God, but that he first loved us. See, God understood that in order for us to be back in this relationship of love that existed in the garden, there was going to be a need for him to show love in order to get love. 
God understanding that if he would show his love, that love draws upon the heart to reciprocate. That's why if, you, if you're trying to figure out a young person, if you got somebody and you're trying to figure out if he loved you or she loved you, if she ain't showing you, then you that, let, believe what they're saying. Just when people tell you, just believe them. Don't call them a lie. If you say you love me, show me. And here's the thing. You love doesn't have to be told because nobody told God to send his son. Because he loved, love wanted to show itself and love actioned. Not that there were men running and saying, God, we love you. Show us you love us. No, he says, no, I love you and I'm going to show you. And having shown you, now it draws upon your heart to show him. Because then I say, Lord, because you love me. And now that I love you, what can I show you? How can I show you? How do I demonstrate my love to you? Because love inherently wants to show itself. And here's the thing. Love looks for a way. I'm just stop right there for a minute. Because I've been there. I was as a single man, boy, I was, I was out. I was trying to date and trying to see and trying to figure things out, you know, trying to see if whether or not this, you know, I wonder if she... How is she really into me? And here's what I realized. That love wants me to know. So I don't have to wander because love looks for a way to show itself. God looked for a way. He, 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 he looked intently to find his way in order to bring us back into fellowship with him. Point number three for the day. He paid full price. He paid full price. First John chapter 4 and 10 says, for in this love is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word is a word we don't walk around saying propitiation all the time. So let's break it down. Propitiation means to atone for. It's atonement. Atonement is something we understand. Atonement means to expiate, to get rid of, to pay, or, or to respond or to give something in exchange or give reparation for an offense. Expitiate mean, it means to, to make satisfactory, that, that, that I'm going to satisfy the bill, not that I'm going to put something on it. You got anything to put, on, put something on it, friends? They ain't going to go all the way. They're just going to go some of the way. But this word expiate means to satisfy the debt. So when Jesus is there and giving reparation for our sin, he is actually trying to satisfy the debt. And I want you to see this because you have to, you have to see this because uh, all of us get excited about half-price sales, don't we? There's nothing like having a deal. You go in and they say it was 75% off. I have purchased things that I didn't know what I was going to do with because it was on sale. 
Walking there, Brother Clint, it's, it's 50% off. Oh, 50, ooh, 50% off. It ain't even my size. <laughs> I need a large, and it's a medium. A small medium. I'm trying to figure out who I, who I can get. I, I mean, I can, I can lose some weight to get in this. And you know, that ain't a good plan, is it? Anybody ever try to lose a weight? Just, just that first pound seemed like it just won't go anywhere. So here I, so, so all of us love a half-price sale. It's intriguing. It draws us in. But, but here's the thing. Our Lord didn't come in looking for a deal. Because when he was going through the process of paying the penalty, he declared, it is finished. Here we are. John chapter 19. Look here for, me, for a moment. John chapter 19. You got to see this because this will inspire your faith. John chapter 19, verse 28, 29, and 30. Here's what the word of the Lord says. After, just, after this, Jesus Knowing, here it is, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Here's the reality. If you're on the cross and you're just within moments of death, you ain't looking for a glass of water. That's the last thing on your mind. But because the scriptures had foretold that they would give him sour grapes to drink when he was thirsty, he's there just moments of death, uh, just inches from death, and he says, I'm thirsty. And then once they get, they fill the sponge and dab it in his mouth, having done that, he, in verse 30 says, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is Finished. What a Lord, what a mighty God we serve who says, I'm not going for the half price deal. I'm not trying to get a discount. I'm going to do all it takes to cover your debt. I can appreciate that because I had an experience. A friend said, hey, I got the bill. Apparently didn't, didn't fully read the menu. So the person comes out, I wasn't prepared to pay him, just say, hey, you know, we just, God bless you, appreciate this blessing. They slid the bill out. And you know how it is, don't you? If you're out to dinner, somebody look at, they, they open up the, and watch this, if they start looking out, as my, as my big mom used to say, they start looking out in the Jordan, Something went wrong. He started doing it. He looking out in the Jordan. I said, everything okay? Uh, can you help me on the bill? <laughs> Why? Because I was expecting him to pay the full price. Our Lord does not, did not do that. He went all the way to the cross and fulfilled everything that he could stand and declare it is finished. I've paid the price that was due, and I'm covering the whole bill. Leaving nothing out. He paid for a price. Thank you for visiting the Amity Bible Church. If you're in need of prayer, counsel, or if we can assist you in any way, please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us 
or receive these and other sermon notes, visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week, be blessed.